This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah, in the holy city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Today we are embarking on Yom Kippur. We're heading into this great and holy day. I also just want to mention that Asia Torah has a Yom Kippur program, I think, don't we? Yeah. yeah. So there will be a Yom Kippur program here. Um, be, be, I'm sure there's schedules, but you can be here, you know, be here before sundown, I guess around 6, 6.15, 6.30, for the beginning of the experience. Yom Kippur is the great reckoning. It is the ultimate moment of clarity where, where you take responsibility for your life in a serious way. Like you really, you really own it. You own your stuff on Yom Kippur. It's a pretty freaky day in that level of, of taking ownership, like really taking responsibility for yourself. It's, uh, it's past tense. He taught here? Yeah, Ari Fold. Ari Fold. If he taught her, I probably knew him. How'd he pass away? Where'd he get stabbed in the back? You serious? You heard something? Ari Fold? Yeah, tall guy. You knew him? Yes. Oh, so I know him too, right? Ruch Dynamis. Sorry to hear that. Close the, close the door. Whoa. And you guys know of him? Ah, uh, someone have a, a smartphone? Just show me a picture of him? If he taught here, I must have seen, seen him before. Wow, he's a giant guy. Ruch Dynamis. He ran after the guy? He ran after the guy. Wow. Terrible. It got out wiping. Hey, my daughter. How you doing, daughter? Yeah, sure. How you doing, daughter? Oh, keep that bottle there. It was, uh... Right here? Yeah. You can just sit sideways on it. It was, uh, keeping the window closed. Actually, you know what? No, no, sit, sit, sit. My daughter's here. Um, I think that we're going to start this class again. Yom Kippur is the great reckoning of our lives. It's, it's taking responsibility for your stuff. The reason it comes after Rosh Hashanah, because it really should be before Rosh Hashanah, there's no reason to, why should you start a new year with all your stuff? It's a new year. Like, I want my stuff in the past. I don't want it. And then going into a new year covered in last year. Like, it's ridiculous. And we're going to be hitting tomorrow. Uh, Tuesday night is our 10th day of the year, That this new year. It's the 10th day of the year, and we're going to go in. We've been spending 10 days covered in last year's stuff. So it doesn't make a ton of sense. Put that bottle in you. The bottle in you. So... So it doesn't make a lot of sense that you should come into a new year like that. 
And so the reason we do that is because you need these days. You need these 10 days to... You can turn my way. No, no, not the chair. You. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect, yeah. So, so you, you need these days to get yourself, like... GPS. Do you need, you need this this magnifying glass of of these days to get to your your real stuff? And we don't own our stuff easily. We we generally run away from our stuff. Our stuff. I mean, you've got your whole personality set up basically to never deal with with your stuff. I mean, think about your personality. You've built an entire personality to around like I mean, your whole self image is basically to mask stuff that you just would never, ever, ever want to look at. You, know, you just never want to see any of that stuff. And we've created, we've created a whole way of being. And it's funny, is the people we're closest with are the ones that we've, like, they know where not to touch, you know? It's like, it's like we have this open wound that we don't want anyone to touch. And so we've created a whole personality around us that no one should go there. And so we've got ourselves all, like, very protected insulated from any potential exposure. And these days are set up specifically to expose us. We are we're supposed to be hitting right now such a raw place and allow God into that place. And this is like this is our deepest game. I mean this is this is where we're playing big games here. And it's not it's not easy to get in there. I'm not even sure you can get in there. Like, how are you getting in there? I'm not getting in there with you. Yeah? I mean, I run programs. I actually run seminars where we go in. But with the group itself, I'm not necessarily going in with them. Once in a while, someone will, you know, will let someone go in, and I'll go in with them, and everyone kind of watches and listens so they get an idea how they could go in. But do you even, do you even know how to get in there? Well, I'll tell you one thing that helps a lot. What'll help a lot is to we're gonna reduce you to like we're gonna reduce you to some hopeless, starving individual. Okay? I mean, think about the brainwash going on here. You got you started at the beginning of Elo. We started, we got chauffeur blasts every morning to wake us up. We're saying a special prayer of um, of a Psalm of David every day which is basically you could take the whole thing is basically I want to be with you God. Like I'm with I'm with you God. <laughs> Remember that song? Who's that Sonny and Cher? I'm with you God. Like we're singing I'm with you God every day. It's a King David song. Hashem oiri v'yishi. I made a bracha yet on the Baruch so we, we're, we're saying that thing, we're blowing the show for, then we get two days. Oh, sleepless nights. Remember, this is all like cult tactics. This is cult stuff. <laughs> sleepless nights, why? Because we all have to be up at midnight to do an extra prayer service that no one seems to understand. And if you're Ashkenazi, for sure you don't understand it. If, if you're Sephardic, okay, you at least get the benefit of understanding it, but it might be redundant, you know, like every, you know. 
Wish I knew the words. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. The Ashkenazim don't know where it's at. You know, Let's go party with the Sephardim at the Kotel. You know, and um, anyway, doing they're doing that for a whole month. Everyone's sleep deprived because it's not like you get the month off work. So you got to wake up every morning, like get your day started, and so you got sleep deprivation. Rosh Hashanah morning, you, you, you probably didn't know this, but you fast till noon. So now you're already like, you know, food depletion. And then 48 hours of saying the word melech like a thousand times. You know, it's like melech, 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 melech. Oh, the service is over? Great. And then they open the ark. And it's just like, whoa, you know. And then after those forty-eight hours, you're you're you can't even look at another piece of meat. And then, and then you got seven days to make amends between you and other people which is super humbling and very scary to stick your tail between your legs and go up to people and ask forgiveness. Plus, you got to forgive. You have to do what's called the gift of forgiveness. You know what the gift of forgiveness is? Gift of forgiveness is when you forgive people who didn't ask. But it's important. You want to give, give it away for free. Like you imagine people that you don't like very much because of the stuff that went down. Can you imagine just giving it? Like they're, they're not owning it. They're not coming to ask. No one's asking forgiveness. You're just giving it to them. You know why you give it? Why should you give it? Yeah, so you want to set up the kind of energy of forgiveness before Yom Kippur because you need forgiving. I mean, think about it. If we put a clock on how often you thought about God in the last this last year and we clocked the... You know, figure every day is 24 hours. You're awake for 17 hours. 17 times 60 is what? Someone's got their smart... He always has a smartphone out. What's 17 times 60 about Mr. Chabad back there? Mayor. What's your name? Mayor. Mayor, uh, 17 times 60, please. 1,020. Yeah, 1,020. Yeah, 1,020. What's 1,020 times 60? So of the 61,000 waking hours a day, how many of those seconds were spent on thinking, like just thinking about like God? Like right now you're relating to me, it's like you're locked in, so the time would be like, yeah, I was relating to Yom Tov during that time. How much of your time was spent just like this with God? For your 60, how many thousand seconds? 61,000? How many of your 61,000 seconds of today were spent in these kind of moments of connecting. It's pretty freaky. Like we, we, in other words, we've been like totally ignoring God. I'll give you a great analogy. Imagine a king who's, uh, he always wanted to know what it was like to be with his people, but he can't, he's the king. Like, what are you, what are you gonna do? You can't be a civilian when you're the king. But suddenly he had a great idea. He, he called makeup artists and, uh, you know, and costume designers and they came back, you know, to the backstage of the Inner Kingdom, and, and they, they made him up to look totally different. Like, he was made up to look like 20 years younger, 
changed his hair color. Like, they totally set him up. Put on, like, the clothing of a commoner. And he, and he was having a major bash that night. So he, he went and joined the bash. And he goes to the bar, you know, might as well get a glass of wine. Goes to the bar to get some wine. There's a bunch of people just freeloading off his wine. There's one particularly obnoxious drunk guy. Puts his arm around him and says, Right, the king's an idiot. And everyone's like, Right. You know? And the king's like, I guess so. And, and he just continues on with like every kind of terrible thing about the king. And the king's just like, Oh my gosh, like this was a bad idea. And then he goes, so he says, Let me get away from the bar. So he goes over to the food place and he sees this guy just taking like, you know, deviled eggs and like popping them into his pockets. <laughs> and like, you know, he's like this nice silver spoon. He's just like flinging deviled eggs into his pocket for, I guess, for his family. I don't know. And the king's like, You're stealing from the king? And the guy's like, King's an idiot. He'll never know. And takes the spoon and slides the spoon into the pocket. And then sees the staff go bring another spoon you know, for the next thief. Anyway, he's just going around the party. It's, it's going from bad to worse. And he's really not enjoying himself at his party. And what happened is that finally one of his advisors came up to him and says, it's time for the king to greet the people. So I think you got to come back and let us fix you up again. So, they, so that's what they did. They, they took him back and they went to, to fix him up. And uh, he's really upset. Now he's in his full royal garments, and he comes out, and the horns are playing. And, of course, that's like the show part. And, of course, everyone bows down, you know, here comes the... Everyone bow for the king. The king comes out. And and then they're all, like, down on their faces, you know, bowing before the king. And then, of course, the drunk guy from the bar comes up on one knee and says, Long live the king! And everyone goes, long live the king. And the king's like, I kill that guy. So we've all been at the king's party 24 hours a day, 17 waking hours, 61,000 minutes, 61,000 seconds a day. We're at the king's party, and the king's at the party with us. And then we're and we're all deciding whether or not we're gonna like even keep Shabbat. <laughs> we're the drunk guy at the bar. <laughs> we're like deciding whether we'll even keep kosher. You know, like we're we're just we're at the party with the king and deciding whether or not we're gonna even pay any attention to the king. And that's one of the reasons why you, you give the gift of forgiveness. Gift, giving forgiveness usually is not a gift. They earn it. They have, to, they have to humble themselves and ask forgiveness. Here it's a gift. Here you're just giving it because you need it. But it's also, there's another added benefit is that when you have resentment over somebody, it's generally like poison in your own blood. So it's a, the famous line is that when you, when you resent somebody, it's when you wish someone would die, but you drink the poison. So the other good thing of forgiving people outright is just let it all go. Another good uh, saying is that when you forgive somebody, it's when you let someone out of jail only to realize that person was you. Get that? 
So it's you get the poison out of you. And, and the other thing also is it's, a, it's good for your relationship with God because whatever, and this will help answer your question, this teacher from uh, Brooklyn, is that it will help you with your relationship with God also to forgive because, because uh, God, God doesn't make mistakes. So even though you wound up in harm's way with whoever that was that ripped you off or abused you or something went wrong or whatever, the, uh, it's, it's not random you got chosen for, the, uh, for that test. You know, God doesn't make mistakes. There's nothing random going on. So we're all going through the stuff we got to go through. You know, we believe in reincarnation here, and we've lived many lives. And there's a lot of what I call cosmic debt. We all have stuff. No matter how clean your energy, meaning usually when you have garbage coming your way, it's usually because your energy is attracting garbage. But you can clean up your energy, and then all of a sudden you don't attract any garbage, which is great. But then stuff anyway happens sometimes. What's beautiful about that stuff is you know you're just paying your debt from other lifetimes. Because even if you have the cleanest energy in the world and you're just a sea of love, you still have stuff happen. And when that stuff happens, at least now you know you're fixing things. It's not just because you have lousy energy and you're attracting abusive people. If something goes wrong, you, now you know you're dealing with some of the stuff you came to deal with. I feel so bad for people. Some people, their energy is so bad and it attracts so much negativity in their lives. I feel bad for them because they haven't even gotten to fixing what they're here for. Because the stuff there that's coming down the pipe all the time, and it's usually the sewer pipe, the stuff coming down the pipe all the time for them is just because of their own lousy energy. But if you can clean up your energy and get yourself running your engine clean, so you stop attracting negativity into your life. But is it, you think all negativity is going to leave? No, you still get stuff. But when you get that stuff, at least now you know you're getting your tikkun. You're getting your, your rectifications in your life that you have to deal with. I mean, I don't want to shock everybody to say something really radical, but I've, I've, uh, my training was in hypnosis, and I worked for five years in hypnosis. And there were, there were times where, where it was necessary to slip someone into a past life once they were already in their subconscious mind to go travel into the past. And I have to say that I had um, four major abuse victims. I'm not going to go into detail, obviously, because of the uh, ages of some of the people in the room. But there were four major abuse victims that had come to me, and each one was shocked to find that in their past life, they were the abuser. Now, I would, be, I would never say that publicly if I hadn't witnessed it myself, because that's a pretty upsetting thing to hear. But it was almost always the case. And, someone, and sometimes someone, uh, or at least a couple of them, they were women, four different women, but in, and um, they often found themselves aggressive with people, not necessarily abusive, because they were not necessarily in the position as women to be abusive, but, but often out to get people and, get, and getting them, you know, in one way or another, whether it was social media or, or uh, some kind of a, a um, what do you call that kind of assassination, character assassination, or them. They, were, they actually were still up, they were still up to no good, you know, just in whatever ways they could. So, so we have a lot of bleed through from previous lives, stuff that's, that's coming through. Um, just on the subject, like one of the shocking ones is, uh, is um, that if someone dies a particularly horrific death, 
that often shows up in unexplainable paranoias. It'll bleed through. Meaning if it's such a traumatic end, they'll, it'll bleed through in something they're afraid of for no reason. It could be like just a bizarre paranoia. That, and they ask their parents, like, did, did I ever almost drown? And the parents are like, no, you never almost drowned. Like, nothing like that has ever happened to you. But yet this person's, like, afraid to even go to take a bath. Thank God for showers. Now, it's not easy to own our stuff. It's a very painful process. And, and so and we just ended forgiveness there. Now we're going towards Yom Kippur. And we got these seven days to ask forgiveness, but... Ultimately, we're going into Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is going to be now working on, on levels of your, of your resolve to weaken your resolve through fasting. Fasting's there throughout the day to break you. It's there to break you. And what is it breaking? It's there to break your ego, to break your whole game. And we're, we're going into Yom Kippur to get totally broken. If you're thinking food on Yom Kippur, you missed the day. You just blew the most important day of the entire year. Every second you get hungry or weak, you're, it's now, that means the medicine's starting to take effect. That's all it's there for. Like, God, you think God cares? If anything, I think God's like, you know, God's more like kind of like a Jewish mother. Like, food is love. You know, he's, es mein Kind, you know, eat, 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 my child. You know, God likes it when we eat. He does not like fasting. Like, he wants to see his children eating. You know, like, he's a Jewish mother. Like, you ever gotten your mother angry? Yeah? Really angry, like, steaming mad. Okay? And then she serves you soup that night. And she's sitting in her place. You're sitting in your place eating the soup. Is she hoping you choke on it, or she's hoping you enjoy it? Enjoy it. Yeah, right. She's hoping you ask for seconds, even. Yeah. I thought she's angry. Well, she's angry, but she wants you to enjoy the soup. So God's like a Jewish mother. Okay. He wants you to eat, even if you do stuff that like totally freaks him out. You know, he's just like, I don't even, I don't even know why I'm creating you, buddy. <laughs> but I hope you enjoy your soup. I mean, think about, it. just think of your own physiology. You're covered in, you're covered in, in nerve endings that are just for your pleasure. And what do you need all these nerve endings for if not your pleasure? Okay, I understand fingertips. You need to know what size coin to, to like skimp on the beggar walking down the street. You know? like how else are you going to know? You get, good luck trying to figure out what coin it is with your elbow. You know, maybe a massage therapist could. They, but they, you know, they, I mean, certain things make sense, but most of them are just for your pleasure. I mean, your eardrums, music, you know, your your eyes for the the, the Alps or flowers or. You know, your taste buds are purely pleasure. You know, your skin is just pleasure. It's, it, you're, God lined you with pleasure, little pleasure pods all over the place. And, you know, it's so clear that God's just crazy about you. You know, God's got this giant crush on you. And, and yeah, when you have a crush on someone, you could get angry, meaning however angry you get, but you're, when you're crazy about someone, you just, okay, you know, I wish they would be more in tune with me. I want them to be more connected to me. I don't want to be ignored all day like the king who was ignored at his parties or even people going against him at his parties. 
I want you to be connected, but I still, I'm still crazy about you. That's not going away. And so the fasting is there to, to weaken your resolve. What do I mean by your resolve? It's to crack open your... It's to crack open your... your um, what's a good word I'm looking for? Your armor. Resistance. Yeah, your resistance. But the armor that you've created your whole personality around. I mean, it's here to crack open your armor that you're wearing. This is the ultimate. Like, we're coming in Tuesday night to the ultimate, ultimate day of the year. It is so awesome, this day. And it's there to crack open your, your body armor. And that's there to protect you. So if you're feeling hungry, that means you're in total denial of the day. I'm sorry, if you're feeling hungry, that's fine. But if it's upsetting you that you're hungry, that means you're just denying the day. You're just not in the day. You, you want to be reduced. Ultimately, the goal is that you get reduced into like a fetal position in the middle of synagogue. You should be reduced into a fetal position in the middle of shul. Quivering. And in a pool of all your saliva, everything in your sinuses, and all your tears. You should be in a quivering, convulsing, fetal position, covered in all your fluids. And people standing all around you just going like, <laughs> what happened to this guy or this girl? You know? but, but it's really created for that. And I've been to services where everyone's there. You know, okay, not everyone's in fetal position, and I've, I've, I've been in fetal position many times, not on Yom Kippur, but I've definitely done that level of surrender to, I've had all my armor cracked. You know, you can't do what I do for a living without getting cracked open big time, publicly, you know, like being part of a large group, you know, deep work stuff, and it's heavy work. I mean, it's amazing if you get there, but I've had it happen on Yom Kippur as well, but, but people were holding me up meaning I actually had people holding me up to, you know, like just supporting me so I wouldn't have to fall down. The, but that's what we're going for. We're going for total letting it all go, just letting go of all that ego, surrendering all your self-image, which is really just a game you've created to protect yourself. And when you get to that place, when you get to that full surrendered, humble place, what, what happens then is so much exciting stuff. I mean, really, your life starts getting awesome. You want to live an awesome life? Surrender the way I just described it. Just surrender. You'll, your life gets so amazing there. Um, first of all, a couple things happen. When you go into that surrendered place, you're, um, you, there, there's different parts of your brain start getting activated. Uh, one of the parts of your brain that's activated that keeps you separate from things um, lets down its guard, so you start to suddenly feel connected to your world, which is amazing. <laughs> like, you don't feel so isolated anymore after that, forever, meaning you're in. Like, you get connected to people. You feel connection. And so that's, that's amazing. Suddenly you're no longer so isolated. And that's, that's worth it. That enough is worth it. That alone is worth it. Um, the next thing is you start to realize that 
Oh, you, you get a really incredible energy, like a, a boundless energy inside you. Like suddenly your battery pack's just filled to the brim. Because a lot of what exhausts us is all the threats to our ego. I mean, think about it. You ever felt like really exhausted when you should be doing something? You know what I mean? Like you're, you're supposed to accomplish something that day and you just get really exhausted? Because going out and doing it and it likely failing, because to succeed you've got to fail a bunch of times, is too much for our ego. We can't handle that. So, so just unconsciously going into pure exhaustion, like total exhaustion, to the point where you just feel totally lethargic. You can't move. But what happens is when, when that ego breaks, you get all this energy inside of you. You get filled with, with power. And that's a great place to live from. That's an amazing spot to be generating from. Another thing is, is your, you, your, your meter on how often you're connecting to God goes up a lot because you start to realize that, that you know, you're, you're the, you know, you know, like my phone's plugged in right now and it's plugged into the wall that's pumping it. It's its energy source right now. So you, after a while, you, when you get to that place, you're like, well, what's powering me? And you start to realize, well, God's powering me. I'm, I'm powered by God. I mean, what is powering me right now? Think about it. What powers me right now? I know a doctor is going to tell you that there's somehow we have these electrical heart impulses that are making my heart beat. Yeah, and that's why I'm standing in front of you right now. But who's doing that? Who's making that happen? Like, what, how's that happening? And if, and if God chose not to make that happen, how long would this class go on? You know, it'd be over like that. And the, so we, what's powering you right now? Literally, what's powering you? You, want, you think your breakfast is powering you? It's an important part of everything. I mean, it's gotta, you got to eat to have energy and nutrition and stuff. you got to have energy. But what's literally making you work? My phone's working because it's plugged in a wall. My battery would have died a long time ago on a live feed. It would have died a long time ago, but it's being powered. Well, you're also being powered. What powers you if not the will of the creator? And so when you get to that humble place, so then God's will starts shining through you in a big way. Okay, I'm going to take a question real quick before I switch gears a bit. Uh, anyone got any questions? What's the main covenant? Well, that, that is what I would say is the main covenant is, is the main intention is to allow your ego to break. Your job is to allow your ego. Uh, can I just make this a little clearer for a sec? If you weren't like really tuned in this last year, why? Why weren't you? Why weren't you? Why wouldn't you have been tuned in? Like, if, you, if God's your power source and you were not so tuned in this year, I, I got a question. Why? I'd like you to answer. I mean, you, you lived your life this year. Why didn't you stay tuned in? I'm waiting for you guys to answer. Okay, that's the easy answer. That's where I'm going ultimately. But I, I want, that'll be maybe the last answer, yeah? Okay, maybe. Anyone else? Why, why would we do the wrong thing? Do we want things that are different from what God wants from us? Okay. 
Sure, our, our desire for things is uh, is different than what God would want. Okay. What? Okay, lack of gratitude. That's probably a real deep one. I mean, we're just not recognizing our our benefactor. Yeah. What? Uh huh. But that, but it's not just that you had schoolwork that you put the priority on the schoolwork and and over God's will. Any others? Okay, but what I want to say is, what's that? <coughs> not connected. Okay. The the basic thing is that we were in situations throughout the year, lots of situations, where it was it was our will versus God's will. Many times throughout the year. We we had our will versus God's will. And the reason we're coming to clean up our act on Yom Kippur is because we chose our will over God's will. I mean it's very simple. In other words, we were we wore the crown. We we it's funny, in our analogy, we said God's just in the, at the party. But in this particular case, imagine the drunk guy at the, uh, the drunk guy at the bar is wearing the king's crown. And everyone's like, what are you doing with the king's crown? And he's like, I stole it. <laughs> he's got his arm around you and you're the king. Like, nobody wears the king's crown. I mean, that's like... You know, it's like instant death penalty. But ultimately, the reason is is because we've been we've we've pronounced ourselves king, right? We got free will. It's your life. You make your own choices, and whenever you made those choices, you over God's will. So, you basically pronounced yourself king or queen in that situation. And that's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. And that's why Yom Kippur is meant to break you. you know, the whole point of Yom Kippur is just to break you. But the, our rabbis say there's nothing more whole than a broken heart. Because when, you, when you're broken, that's where you... When you finally break, suddenly you, you just get filled with wholeness, energy, connection. Like That broken place is a, is a really awesome place to be okay any other uh, anyone else has a question yeah Mac So one real clean good and clean and easy trick to get to know your ego is your self-image the word self-image is a really funny word you guys ever thought about the word self-image What's the word image short for? What? Like imagination. Okay, that's where image is. Usually it's an imagination. So now let's put it together with the word self. Self-imagination or otherwise imaginary self. So if you think about your self-image, it's really just your imaginary self. And also, what else does the word image mean? As another definition, we see it on Google. Google Images, what does it mean? Yeah, a photo, a picture. So now put that together with the word self. It's a self-picture. It's a picture you took of yourself. So when did you take the picture? When was that photo taken? When did you say cheese for your self-image? Well, that's a very complicated question. <laughs> when did I say cheese for my self-image? So here's the scary fact, Mac, is that the, way, the time you said cheese was probably between 
three and a half years old till about 11 or 12. And it, every time you took a picture, it was your worst moments. And there's something weird about human psychology. It's like, if everything's going good, we just slide through. But as soon as something goes like really wrong, we somehow say cheese and we take the picture of our image of ourselves. Our self-image is always our, is built out of our worst times, sadly, and not our best. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Like you could have the most perfect, like I, for example, I was raised in West LA, totally bubble wrapped from all harm. Like nothing ever went wrong. Nothing, I don't think anything could have gone wrong. Like the closest pedophile was like nine zip codes away. <laughs> I was like, like four different phone area codes from us was where the closest pedophile was. I mean, we were like so bubble wrapped in safety and security and two loving parents and like it was just you know people would plan their family size how many kids based on their the three seats in their back car back you know they're meaning oh our car has three seats in the back okay we'll have three kids you know it's like everything was just so planned out and so like protective in my upbringing and what are the things that most affected my self-image uh Stuttering when it was my turn to read, that knocked me up probably till this day. Um, a, a girl walked into the men's bathroom while I was in there. That, that completely obliterated me. Um, uh, my, my father thinking that I should be much better at understanding the stock market when I was about six and getting really disappointed that I couldn't, you know, that, that was, that was quite a knockout punch. I think I'm still working that out. And the, uh, you understand what I'm saying? Like, and I was bubble wrapped, but these things were the biggest impacts on my self image altogether. So in answer to your question, the, the word self image is so telling. It's this picture we took of ourselves as kids. Now I wish it were that easy. Cause what do we do? Well, if you're feeling dumb and you're feeling like, like embarrassed like I was in that bathroom or if you're feeling all these stupid things about yourself or ugly or whatever so you can't live your life so what you do is you create a whole personality around it you listening Mac create a whole personality around all the self image that becomes your your new your new kind of band-aid self image which has nothing to do with that original beautiful child that you were as a toddler it's just a cover up self-image and so you we've all been walking around with that self-image the whole time well there's not a lot of room for God there not a lot of room for letting your guard down around others not a lot of room for having a, a totally communicative marriage or even getting married there's not a lot of room there because the whole world's turned scary because anything can poke through our little charade of self-image because our self-image is double it's the negative snapshots and then it's this whole composite personality we created to cover it up. And so Yom Kippur's designed to break through all that stuff and get you back to just being a very simple soul. You can. Well, it's 40 days because we started the show for Bless 38 days ago. 
and we've been working ourselves through this system. Now, it could be people who are not that involved in daily Jewish living didn't really get to take advantage of all those 40 days. But do it this year for sure. Like, start now. Like, Yom Kippur's... A, we just had Rosh Hashanah. Like, live the Jewish calendar fully so that when you get to this point, you're ready to finally break because it's, it's been shaking you from below. Like, Jewish calendar's shaking you and it's going to break you on Yom Kippur. And then at that point, now you're in the real place that you got to be as a, as a Jewish person. And I know this all sounds like so less egoistic than Judaism. Like when you meet a Jew, like you could tell a Jew at a party a mile away. I mean, we're like, we're like larger than life, you know? So we start to think that Judaism, part of being Jewish is being a bit egoic, egoic in style. Uh, you know, we all got to kind of have a, a scene we come with, a swagger. And, uh, but, but it's really is one of the great spiritual traditions and look at any spiritual tradition. I don't know which one you want to go to, but I promise you every one of them is set up to get you to a place of surrender so that you can actually start having a relationship with God. You have to get to surrender to get to that place. Judaism's not an exception. I know we like take up a lot of airspace and real estate and we just like, you know, we, we just are larger than life, and it seems like Judaism would allow for that, but it really doesn't. It really wants us to be taken down to our knees and to surrender and become one with God on this very surrendered place. And if you want to be big, be big at feeding people. If you want to be big, be big at teaching people. If you want to be big, be big at build a big sukkah, okay? <laughs> Don't make yourself big. Okay. Um, um, by the way, if anyone would like to help me put up lights, our sukkah is basically built, but I could use a couple more volunteers. We got to just do some decoration. So, and also, everyone's invited to these like amazing sukkah parties at my house. There will be live music, keg beer, and and a whole experience every night of sukkahs. So, uh, please uh, be directly in touch with me about that. And I'd just like to let you know about the next class coming on. Um, also, if someone would help me decorate my sukkah, I'd appreciate that very much as well t this evening. Um, it's right in town. I live off Ben Yehuda Street. Um, this next class is Rabbi Aaron Neckemeyer. Um, sounds looks like he's going to be playing some music as well. Rabbi Neckemeyer's class is called The Seven Questions, like the, the most taboo, out-of-this-world Jewish questions you could ever ask. And people generally who do his class keep coming back because it's really something very special. He is the most unorthodox Orthodox Jew you will ever meet. Shalom, everybody. If you need a bathroom, take a break and then come right back for Rabbi Nekemeyer. Yes. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.